Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota's U.S. Attorney Erica McDonald on the troubling trend of sextortion, Minnesota baseball stories, and a Vikings preview with Team General Manager Rick Spielman. But first... Next Thursday, August 1st, before the next weekend, Minnesotans head up to the cabin. A new state law takes effect that prohibits drivers from using their cell phones except in hands-free mode while behind the wheel. To get exact details about what the new law allows and does not allow, MNN's Bill Werner talked with Mike Hansen, director of the Minnesota Office of Traffic Safety, and Colonel Matt Langer, chief of the Minnesota State Patrol. Let's take it right from the beginning, right from the the most basics. What can people do and what are people no longer allowed to do after August 1st when they're driving a vehicle relative to use of a cell phone? What you can do is use your phone to talk. You can use your phone to do almost everything you currently can do, but everything has to be done in hands-free only. So no more holding the phone, driving down the road, talking with the phone up to your head. No more holding the phone at a red light, scrolling through whatever drivers might be scrolling through. So what, that you, what you can do is use your phone. It has to be in hands-free mode. What you can't do, and this is important, even in hands-free mode, is you can't use your phone to do any gaming, no video streaming, no FaceTiming, no scrolling through the Internet or using social media apps while driving, even in hands-free mode. So while you can use your phone in hands-free mode to compose a text or listen to a text, you cannot hold the phone or have the phone mounted to your dashboard typing that text out. Those things are illegal, many of which are illegal today, but for sure August 1st. And the, Bill, the, the, the beauty of the, the law is its simplicity. It's easy for drivers to understand and to comply with, and it's going to make law enforcement's job much easier when it comes to detecting and then taking action uh, on those violations as they see them. Very basically, you can't have that phone in your hand at all unless there is a life-threatening emergency. Now, can folks still use GPS? We get that question a lot. Yes, you can use your phone as a GPS, but again, it has to be only in hands-free mode. Now, what about, and there are, there are those of particular religious faiths and other persuasions who will wonder whether they can use the phone uh, if it's wrapped in a headscarf, a hijab, or, um, or some, something like that. So the law did contemplate that, and if you're operating your phone in hands-free mode, you're fine. So if you can get your phone into a head garment, religious or otherwise, and operate the vehicle and the phone safely in hands-free mode, that is in compliance with the law. The other question that we receive quite frequently that kind of parallels with that is smartwatches. And a smartwatch is considered the same thing as a cell phone as far as an electronic communication device. You can look at the smartwatch to, to tell the time, but if you're going to interact with it and use it for any type of communications, the restrictions that the colonel talked about earlier uh, are just as uh, applicable to your smartwatch as they are to your smartphone. So it sounds like regardless of the technology here, if you have to touch the device, as it were, to enter in whatever, to do a text or, or scroll through or whatever, that's against the law after August 1st when you're driving. Right. The only thing you can do is get the phone into hands-free mode using single-touch activation. So the way I explain single-touch activation is if you're driving down the road and your phone rings and you're not holding it, you can touch the phone to answer that call, provided you're talking on the phone in hands-free mode. 
What about folks who are under the age of 18? Uh, there, there are already some pretty tight restrictions on their use of these devices, right? And Bill, again, you know, the beauty of the law is its simplicity. And for those with a graduated driver's license, absolutely nothing changes. You cannot interact with your phone or any electronic device at all. For parents uh, who ask us frequently, you know, can my son or daughter use the navigation uh, application on their phone? And the answer to that is yes, as long as the navigation uh, information is programmed before the car goes in gear and before it becomes a part of traffic. They can still use that to help them get from point A to point B, but that's it. Gentlemen, your public information campaign goes beyond simply cell phone use uh, and the new regulations on that. It talks more broadly about distracted driving. Uh, in general, are you hoping that this will get Minnesota's attention, Minnesotans' attention that maybe what we all need to do is one thing when we're behind the wheel, which is drive? That's exactly it. Drivers drive. Put the phone down, the eyes up, and pay attention. We have more licensed drivers on Minnesota roads than we ever have. We have more registered motor vehicles than we ever have. And driving is a complex task, and it requires us as human beings to be fully engaged with that. And you owe that to your family, your friends, your neighbors, and everybody else who's trying to use the, the, the road. Driving is a cooperative venture. It takes all of us paying attention and doing the right things to prevent those crashes from happening. And, you know, God forbid, uh, nobody sets out to be involved in a preventable tragedy. But uh, as the colonel's troopers can tell you, those happen with far too uh, frequently, and they don't have to. Those uh, death notifications don't have to be made, and those families don't have to plan funerals if all of us make good decisions behind the wheel. That's Mike Hansen, director of the Minnesota Office of Traffic Safety, joined by Colonel Matt Langer, chief of the Minnesota State Patrol. And Scott, next week, time and breaking news permitting, of course, we will talk with Colonel Langer and Mr. Hansen about the political possibilities in Minnesota for a total ban on cell phone use while behind the wheel and also hear stories of those whose loved ones have been injured or killed by distracted drivers. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information, too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Cases of sextortion are on the rise in Minnesota. The cases involve online predators using social media to coerce and force minors into creating sexually explicit images. 
I recently spoke with U.S. Attorney for Minnesota Erica McDonald about what parents need to watch out for and steps they and their children can take to stay safe. Essentially, this is every parent's worst nightmare. Uh, how are crimin- criminals able to get away with this or, or uh, sort of find the inroads into kids to, to make this happen? You know, Scott, it is every parent's worst nightmare, and unfortunately we're seeing a sharp increase in these types of offenses in my office, in cases that we're prosecuting. You know, they use a variety of means to be able to gain access to the child. Sometimes it's a person in a position of trust such that they're communicating with the kid. The kid knows fully well with whom they're communicating, um, but because they have that position of trust, they're able to exploit a vulnerability. It could be that they, many of these predators pose as children, as other children online, create fake online profiles that lead the child to believe that he or she is communicating with somebody of their own age and interest and uh, use that friendship to either gain access to their friends list to get to their friends um, or also to have that individual uh, engage in activity once they have won their trust. They've groomed them in a way. It's, grooming's involved very much like other sexual offenses against children. Um, and then have them, once they have incriminating image or uh, incriminating video, have them create more of these images or videos in exchange for them saying they're not going to disclose the one that they have in hand. You mentioned that uh, you're seeing an increase of these types of cases. Do we have a sense of how prevalent it is in Minnesota? Since last year my office has charged, we're on track to charge 40% more of these types of cases than the year prior. I'll tell you the one difference for me, having served as an AUSA and assistant United States attorney for Um, 10 years, and I went to the bench for eight years and then came back as the United States Attorney, there's a real marked distinction and explosion in a number of cases we're seeing of production of child pornography within which these crimes fall. The media or the, the Internet and various forms of communication have provided so much good to society, but they have also created vulnerabilities and provided avenues for access to children in a way that we haven't seen. And so it's really important that parents and teachers and law enforcement officers and anybody who's in a a field where they have contact with children understand the vulnerabilities that are out there. And then also make it really clear to children, and by children I mean anyone under the age of 18, um, make it very clear that it's not their fault if they find themselves in this situation, that there is help out there for them. They'll not be judged, but we need to help them from having to go through this or anybody else go through this because we see these predators, typically they have multiple victims involved in the case. In addition to just generally being more aware, what other sort of weapons can can parents use to deter this and what recourse do they have uh, once, uh, once it's happening to their kids or to their families? Well, I tell you, you know, FBI has a really good website that provides various tips. It has a brochure on stop sextortion. It has tips to provide. It's very important for parents to understand um, with whom their kids are communicating, that they have really frank conversation with their kids, that anything they do online um, is open and it's available to others, that any type of image or video they post isn't just out there 
for today or for tomorrow, it's out there for perpetuity. Once somebody else has received it, it's out of their out of their control. Make sure they know that if anyone anyone asks them to engage in sexually explicit activity online, they report it to a parent or to a trusted adult in some avenue. Um, one thing that's really important for parents to communicate to their children, because we've seen uh, a misunderstanding of this, if a child is forced or coerced into creating this type of image or video, the, the child does not have criminal liability. In other words, we're not going to prosecute that kid. The kid is not going to be um, in danger of any kind of criminal exposure. They need to understand that, that they shouldn't be afraid to tell law enforcement for fear they're going to be in trouble. They're not. We just need to help rescue them. Um, it's important, I think, for parents to understand they need to have their computers in a central location so they know with whom their kids are communicating, to have age-appropriate communications and conversations with their kids. You know, I say all the time, you got to take a little bit of innocence sometimes to protect a whole lot of innocence. And so kids need to be aware that there are threats that face them with respect to um, online communications with others, and they should be aware of those so that they can make sure they're protecting themselves. If there is a child out there, a parent out there, a teacher out there, a nurse out there, someone who believes they either are a victim or know a victim of extortion or any type of child exploitation, please report it. It's not their responsibility to investigate. It's not their responsibility to take it on themselves. That is why we are here as law enforcement as the United States Attorney's Office to provide protection, to protect public safety. And these are cases that we take seriously. We know how to handle them. And we'll make sure that we get um, the predators held accountable. Thank you to my guest, U.S. Attorney for Minnesota, Erica McDonald. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A longtime umpire, a pioneering woman, and an all-stars return to the spotlight. Three stories of baseball, all centered in Minnesota. MNN's J.W. Cox has more. Former big league umpire Tim Cheetah, former professional pitcher Isla Borders, and former big league all-star Daryl Strawberry, all with ties back to the game in Minnesota. We're in the state's baseball-loving capital of St. Paul this week as the St. Paul Saints hosted their league's all-star game. At the all-star players' lunch in Borders, the first female to earn a pitching victory in a men's professional game recounted how her baseball journey brought her to St. Paul for a tryout with Mike Vex Saints in 1997. And he goes, Isla, I am here just to give you an opportunity. If you're going to make it, you're going to make it on your own. And he goes, this is the thing. We've already sold out every single game. So if somebody says you made the team to sell tickets, they, they can't say that because the season has already pretty much been sold out. He goes, just go out there and play. You would think that the women would be supportive, and it was actually the men were supporting me and the women were not. It was those same supportive men that forged Borders' most lasting memory of her career, a highly human moment in the face of some inhumane treatment on the road. I had people throwing stuff at me. I had people would grab beer and spit on me. We had some lady up there that was yelling stuff at me, trying to harm me. And so all the guys from the team, they actually formed a circle around me, and we were just shuttling along in just to get to the baseball field, and they were pretty much protecting me from the fans to get me to the field. I will never forget those guys that went all the way around me and shielded me. That, to me, was like, Isla, we believe in you. 
The momentous win for Borders came on July 25, 1998, when Borders was playing for the Duluth Superior Dukes, but she says the last game she pitched before the win actually sticks in her brain more than the first victory itself. And I actually lost. And I remember afterwards, my manager at the time, George Minerwall, came back and he goes, you're getting the ball again. You've earned it. You, you went five innings. Um, you went over there. You pitched really well. We're going to put you right back out there again. And that's what I remember is going back out there again after I failed and then picking up the win. It's the same thing. It's about going out there and going through some failures and just going through it, putting yourself out there again, and then ultimately getting that win. While umpires don't usually draw the headlines, baseball fans of a certain age will recall the name Tim Cheetah. The 25-year veteran of big league umpiring began officiating youth sports all around his native home of St. Paul. I was trying out for the varsity at Creighton Durham Hall, and Dennis Denning said, uh, Tim, we'd love to have you on the team this year, but uh, we're actually going to try to win the conference. So you might want to consider your umpiring and, and continue with that. So I was umpiring and refereeing youth sports, hockey, football, and baseball. And if I could ever get the state tournament, I would have been the happiest person in the world. And I, I just went to umpire school to to hone my skills a little better. And and I, uh, I ended up finishing first in the class, and they offered me a job in the California League, and, and four years later, I was, I was in the American League. During that big league run, Cheetah was on hand for a number of key moments, including the historic seventh no-hitter for Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan. Bobby Valentine was managing the Rangers at the time, and he said Nolan's back is really stiff. He might not get past one hitter. He's, he's hurting, so I'm going to have a guy ready just in case. He probably, as the saying in baseball, you've all heard it, he stayed within himself and didn't try to overdo anything, and his control was impeccable that night, which isn't always the case when Nolan took them out. The only thing I kept telling myself from the seventh inning on was... Don't change anything. Big game or small, Cheetah said the approach was very simple. The best compliment I ever received, it came from Tom Kelly. One time somebody asked him about me and he said, I like when he umpires our games because he tries to do a good job. If you've done that at the end of the day and, and you, you call what you see, you do what you think is right, you will have had a successful day as an official and you will probably have had a successful day in any walk of life. Starting in 1983, the headlines came fast for Daryl Strawberry as he won NL Rookie of the Year and launched into a highlight-filled early career with the New York Mets. But in the spring of 1996, he was out of Major League Baseball when the Saints, just two years old, presented an opportunity. St. Paul is a blessing. It, it really it was a blessing to my life, you know, more than just baseball. Uh, because I got a chance to actually come here and really see what people are really like and, and what they do. It, it's totally different from the fact of being uh, a Major League Baseball player and achieving and, and having the pressures and the expectations. And I, I came here with no hype and, and really wanted to see if I could really still play baseball again. And, and there I was, I found myself really having fun playing baseball again and it was because of the people a legend of his time in the independent ranks grew almost as robust as his statistics but there is one home run some say as long as 560 feet at Duluth's Wade Stadium that lives in the forefront of the legend oh it was clearly over 500 feet I can tell you that <laughs> it's one of the furthest balls I ever hit you know and it was straightaway center in that old ballpark here there and um and I, I did hit. I mean, I just had, I had a lot of fun. I, had a, I was really focused on playing baseball as a kid when I, when I got here, and I played just like that. Strawberry says without this baseball-loving state, he never would have made it back to the big leagues. But it led me back into that atmosphere with a different mindset. And the mindset was baseball is not everything. 
it's life. It's learning to win in life more than anything. And when you're able to do that, you're able to make a difference in somebody else's life. They made a difference in my life. So guess what? I get to make a difference in people's life today, the platform I stand on. I don't want to pat myself on the back for my major league career. It is what it was. But the life that I have today, I have a chance to help somebody else because people came into my life when I was at a very difficult time and they helped me. And these people loved me and they helped me get back to a place where I could learn to give back and help somebody else in life. Life lessons and baseball played out in three professional lives rooted here in Minnesota. Scott, back to you. Thanks, JW. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast, F-A-S-T, the sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T, face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, S, speech difficulty, T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota Vikings training camp is now underway in full force at team headquarters in Egan. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm gives us a preview with team general manager Rick Spielman. Scott Spielman is eager to see what training camp brings for his team. Excited to get started. Uh, training camp, I know getting away from here a little bit. Uh, everybody was anxious to get back. I know last year... From a fan perspective, it was pretty special having the fans out here for the first time. I know uh, we had a lot of great crowds here last year, uh, expecting even bigger crowds this year. The passion, the energy that our fans bring uh, on a daily basis is really felt and appreciated by, I know, our coaches and our, uh, our players. Uh, we have a lot of great competition coming up at a lot of positions. There are going to be a lot of difficult uh, decisions to make once we get down to the 53. Uh, excited about what the rookie class has shown so far through the OTAs and the offseason program. Looking forward to seeing if they can carry that over uh, into training camp, uh, but made a lot of good progress. I know once the offseason started, um, Coach Zim really set the tone set that tone through in the uh, OTAs and through the mini camp. I know it started with the addition of the new offensive coaches that came aboard, uh, led by Kevin Stefanski. Um, I know what Zim wants in his football team. He wants smart, high character, uh, tough-minded, uh, physical football team. And I know that's how we've always won games here. And I know that's what uh, Coach Zim wants to make sure that we establish going into training camp. We also, I think, have a very unique group of players, not only that are truly uh, passionate about what they do playing on the field, but they truly care for each other off the field and uh, for each other in that locker room. So 
excited to get started and and really expect to, uh, to have a very successful year coming up. Spielman says they have a few new faces they'll be evaluating this training camp. I think with the addition of the new offensive coaches and, and Kevin Stefanski, I can't describe enough how unique he is um, for a young guy that's an up-and-comer that's extremely intelligent to want to get a Gary Kubiak into a Rico Dennison and to Brian and to Clint uh, on this on this uh, coaching staff and it's a great resource for Kevin as he continues to grow uh, in this profession and I know uh, he understands what Coach Zim wants. He understands how we're going to win football games. Uh, but you've seen that relationship and how that worked through uh, through the whole off season. Not only what we've done in the OTAs and minicamp, but also just going through our process as we uh, rebuilt uh, some of the areas in, on this roster and added to this roster. We're excited about how we ended the off season, the progress that was made, uh, the guys learning. Uh, I would call a new system from what they did last year, something I think they're very familiar with uh, from some of the things that we've done in the past, but there's also a lot of new wrinkles to this. So, uh, but I know that was all done in shorts. Now we get an opportunity to get started in pads here, I think on Sunday and then start building up uh, for that opener. Spielman says with some new coaches on staff, this training camp is important. I think the biggest thing is the communication amongst everybody and the open-mindedness. So um, the one thing that, that's, I think, going to lead to our success this year is that there's no egos up there. Everybody contributes. Everybody has an opinions. Everybody's opinions is heard. Is heard. I know Coach Zim's in a lot of those offensive meetings, um, and they're coming up with what's best for this football team. I think the other critical thing is understanding the strengths of our players, what they do well, and being able to apply their strengths to what we're going to run from a, from an offensive scheme standpoint. I don't know if it's any different than any other year. I mean, if you come into a season without a sense of urgency, then you're probably in the wrong business. Spielman says they're excited to see what quarterback Kirk Cousins can do with a year under his belt in Minnesota. As Coach Zim says, sometimes it's a second time around the track. Um, so I think everybody already knows what it's like to have a training camp here. I think Kirk is very familiar with the system uh, because that's what he's run a lot through his, his entire career. I think um, how we were able to adjust some of the physical traits we're looking for up front from an offensive line standpoint to get a clear understanding of what their traits need to be to function in this offense. Uh, all that stuff, I think uh, everybody was on the same page as we went through this whole off season. I think you start to see that come together. Now it's not there yet, we got a long way to go uh, and we haven't seen it in pads yet, but you know, knock on wood that we're able to stay healthy and not lose any critical pieces uh, and then let it continue to evolve. But I know, um, as disappointing as it was last year, there were a lot of people eager to get back and get at this thing. And I know the potential that we have with this football team, and I know uh, with with Coach Zim leading us on the way that uh, that, we, that we're very optimistic about heading into this year. Scott, the Vikings open the preseason slate on Friday, August 9th in New Orleans. The first home exhibition game is against Seattle on Sunday, August 18th at U.S. Bank Stadium. For more info on training camp, fans can log on to the Vikings' webpage. Thank you, Mike. I can't believe football season's really actually almost here. 
That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.